Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. And I get a lot of questions about this purse, so I just want to tell you immediately. It's, um, <laughs> my um, artist friend Michelle Pred makes these. Um, and um, Michelle 1L, last name P-R-E-D. She's an amazing feminist artist. And um, she, um, she's been doing this art for a long time, but... Um, too tall for Mike, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I think with like a lot of the Women's March stuff going on, she's been getting more well-deserved attention, so I'm really happy for her. Um, can we give a quick round of applause for Dylan for introducing me? Thank you, Skylight. I just want to say I had my pick of people to introduce me. I was like, you. <laughs> um, and yeah, and if you are to social media, um, also use hashtag DIY rules. Um, and uh, yeah, um, can anyone give me a copy of my book? I, like, <laughs> I've got one. Yay, thank you. And it has a special napkin in it. That was my okay, favorite. okay. Um, so, let me see. Um, can I have Aurora come up here, actually? Where's Aurora? Yeah. <laughs> the dog said yeah. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> so, um, Aurora is the illustrator for both the Pussyhead Project and for this entire book. Um, it's a beautiful book. It's, um... I just want you to know that like, Fire and Fury is does not have full color, okay? So, but DIY rules does. Um, By the way, putting it out there for the second edition of Fire and Fury, I want to do illustrations. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, when I got the contract for this book, it was to be in black and white. This is like Grand Central Publishing and uh, Hachette, they're like big deals, and um, and so Aurora and I colluded, and we're like, you know what, we're going to give them the black and white artwork they want, but we're also each time going to send them the full color version, you know, for like social media and marketing, obviously, um, and a couple months in, we get a call, and they're like, you know, this book cannot be in black and white, it has to be full color, and we're like, we agree, yay, so... They tripled their own cost, uh, with you know, at no cost to you guys, and really like put their weight behind the book. So I'm super proud of it. Um, and Aurora's illustrations are just amazing. So um, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I feel like when you and I get together, we're like in a constant state of like the Mr. Burns fingers, yeah, like just like, thinking. Like, well, she's a we Scorpio, and uh, Sun. I'm a Scorpio rising, so. Uh, <laughs> You know, dark stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe we should chat about the Pissette Project in the book, and I'll read an excerpt. Sure. That. Okay. Sounds good. We're freewheeling this time. Yeah. Going off script. Um, gosh. So, I don't know if you guys can remember that week of Election Day. Um, I feel it's kind of like 9-11, it's like we all know where we were. <laughs> um, and therapists across the land were inundated with calls. Um, I remember Wednesday morning, I had an appointment with my therapist, and she canceled on me. She was like so distraught. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, let's catch you next week, Lauren. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then we come to the weekend, which is my parents' wedding anniversary. They're here tonight, by the way. Hi, Mom. Where's Dad? Oh, hi, Dad. <laughs> so, uh, being ever frugal, they wanted to celebrate with a road trip, like on a camping road trip. And so we go, and I'm in the backseat of the car, and I just feel like I've really regressed. I was like 29 years old and just in the backseat of my parents' car. I'm trying to think of what I would do for the Women's March, because I really wanted to do more than show up if I could, you know? So I'm trying to think, like, visually, like, what sign could I hold up? What could I wear? Because just one snapshot, and you can change the world with that nowadays. So, um... I was thinking and thinking, couldn't think of anything, and um, I felt so badass. I remember I was like, I'd be willing to strip naked for this, like, you know, I'm like, I'm just so impassioned. Um, and, you know, then I was like, well, like, Krista, maybe you would get naked in L.A. in January, but not in D.C. in January, you know what I mean? I was like, I don't know how committed you are about that. Um, you know, so I was like, okay, I have to wear the coat, and I have to seal in the cracks of the coat with gloves, and a scarf and a hat. And I had been really um, obsessed with knitting. Um, it was sort of a dormant skill in me because um, my grandma, who's right there, she's super social, but she's a little deaf, so be sure to say hi loudly later. Uh, uh, she taught me to knit at a young age. Um, and, but I had recently just taken up with it with the Little Knittery, which is now like a couple doors down. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, so I thought like, okay, like I could knit my own hat and like how meaningful is that? Like the woman who made the American flag, like I can make my own protest gear. Um, cause American flag is a piece of protest gear if you think about it, right? Um, so I think my next thought though was like, oh my God, like very infomercially. I was like, if I can do this, anyone can, because you know, I'm a beginner knitter. Yeah. So that's when in my head it became from like, one head to like many and I could see the sea of pink and I immediately texted my friends and I was like I just had the greatest idea ever and this is backseat in my parents car and <laughs> we're all good ideas yeah <laughs> so um we pulled off the project in six days Aurora only had two days to do all the illustrations um we have like uh in the back of the book in the appendix like the original Manifesto. So this is a lot of artwork, you guys, and she she did this in two days. So um, I also want to mention I sent her like my pitch over email. It was like pretty detailed, and she wrote back like just three words, like "Girl, call me." I was like, "Yeah, she's in." <laughs> we did 
did you feel like that week? Um, I was devastated. I remember waking up the next morning and um, I don't think I even said anything. I was like right away in tears and like my partner, like I remember him holding me and being like, we're gonna get through this together. And I was so glad that was like the first thing he said because every person I shared that emotion with afterwards said the same thing we're gonna get through this together. And I still feel that way, like we will get through this together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that was my feeling. <laughs> like yeah, devastation and then I'm really glad we have support and we can be support for one another. So I'm so grateful to know Aurora. Um, after um, like we worked on so much together now and she's such a great collaborator. It is like kind of orgasmic working with her because I'll be like, you know, I'm kind of picturing these like backpacks at the march, like these pussy power packs, you know, and but I don't know what they look like. And she'll be like, I do. <laughs> and then it's like our voices go up and we're just like screaming. Like, yes, yes, that's it. Um, so that's what it's like working with her. Um, and I really wish all of you the same type of collaborations in your life. It's really beautiful. Um, so What's going somewhere with this? I don't know, but I would mm. like to touch on the fact that like the thing that makes things uh, really easy to collaborate with you is uh, I noticed on the first thing we worked on, which was the Pussy Hat project, um, Krista already had the idea in, my in her head and she didn't have to um, do a lot of guesswork going back and forth. Like she literally drew out diagrams for me of what she wanted. They're pretty funny. If yeah, you look at them. I know. <laughs> They're actually. <laughs> um, so but I don't know if a lot of you are artists. I know a lot of my friends are here, and they're artists. And when you collaborate with someone, it's it it takes a lot of working back and forth and communication. So um, I I just want to emphasize how valuable that is like the communication part of any partnership is like it can be trying at times but it also can be like so satisfying and you can skip a bunch of steps if you're willing to just be like no it's in my head let me draw it out here it is like yeah yeah do your thing from here well i think creativity is going to be so important in the resistance movement because even just taking a tiny action, it really gives you like the purpose to move forward. Like making just one sketch, talking to one person, mm -hmm. um, and um, I think I've been reading a different chapter each time. I have forty-six chapters. It's my little nod to my. I'm looking forward to the forty-sixth president. Um, and behind me is a book quilt made by the Badass Quilting Society of Tennessee. They are sex-positive quilters, and has um, the chapter heading of um, every chapter that Aurora drew. So, um, I'm going to be reading from, let's see, uh, this one. <laughs> chapter 16, it's called Weapon to Warrior. So yeah, let's see. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So, you know, we did the Pussyhead Project really quickly. Um, in the book, I wrote it in five weeks, and Aurora illustrated it in three weeks, so... And then the publisher took forever to print it, but whatever. <laughs> forever. Forever. No, that, this was a crash title for them, so it, like, from start to finish, it was like eight months, which is, like, kind of unheard of yeah. in publishing. It's, like, usually two years. I just want to give you a public high five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
This is called Weapon to Warrior. I was dating a television reporter and we were having breakfast one morning. Madelines and blueberry muffins at my local coffee bean and tea leaf. We were both 29. I've dated men who were 22 and men who were 55, though generally on the older end of the spectrum, but never someone my age, in this case exactly my age. He was returning to Paris that day, and I wasn't sure when I'd see him again. I could feel both of us drifting apart already. I suddenly beheld him as if from a distance and was amazed. He was a wonderful, successful person, but unlike some of the older guys I had dated, he was only just beginning. There was more he was going to do for the world. I can't wait to see what you become, I blurted out. He stared at me. I tried to explain without sounding like I was putting myself above him, judging his progress like some teacher I wasn't. It's like you're blossoming. He was silent. Too feminine, maybe, I thought. So I tried again. Or, you know, evolving. He brightened. You mean like a Pokemon? <laughs> uh, <laughs> now it was my turn to be silent. Yes, I finally said, like a Pokemon. We had a delightful conversation about what type of Pokemon he would be. I said he'd be super cute. He said he'd have awesome badass skills. Do you feel like a Pokemon at work? I asked. He stared at me, gobsmacked. You know, that is the perfect way to describe it. He mimicked throwing a Pokeball. Pokemon, report! We parted, and to this day, I'm itching to tell him more, all about my theory of the weapon and the warrior as it formed in my head. This is a theory. We all have to make the leap, the evolution, the blossoming, from weapon to warrior, from object to subject. If I were to ask you, do you want to be objectified? You'd say, hell no, you're way too smart for that. But the weapon to warrior path is so tricky because the thing about being a weapon is it's cool. What if I were to ask you, do you want to be an amazing weapon? You would be so powerful, so dangerous. It's enticing. There's glee and power in the idea of being the most awesome weapon you can imagine. In high school and into my 20s, I loved packing my resume with accolades and feeling awesome. Every time I was hired, I wanted to be the nuclear option of weapons. I wanted to say, hire me to write your screenplay, plan your party, fix your problem, I will get it done. I had dreams of being the most badass assistant in the world. I imagined I would be able to fly planes, ride motorcycles, speak many languages, and all the while I'd look beautiful and sexy and intimidating. Everyone would envy any employer who could afford me. On a more mundane, less fantastical level, there is a thrill to being useful. As women, we're taught all our lives to be of use. We're told there's great value in striving to be a productive member of society. We're taught to be weapons, but at the end of the day, a weapon is a tool. And as is true with a weapon, it's important who wields it, and for what, and why. Trying to be the best you can be is a noble pursuit, but if you are being the best you can be in order to be used by other people, then you are the weapon, not the warrior. Shifting into warrior mode is scary, because while you can be the perfect weapon, you can never be the perfect warrior. Warriors are human, and humans make mistakes. And we've been taught, especially as women, that mistakes are not good. So no wonder we stick to being awesome weapons. <clears throat> no wonder we're more comfortable serving as the tools that enable other people to fight their most important battles. Let me ask you these questions. Why do you work so hard? Why did you keep yourself in school for as long as you did? 
Why do you push yourself to gain new skills? Why are you always pushing yourself to be better, stronger, more successful, more, fill in the adjective of your choice? If you're like me, it's so you can be prepared for whatever might come your way, whether it's an interview for your dream job or a first date. I've always taken pride in doing something well, and I love the idea of being someone's dream, of being exactly what they needed. If my boss needed me to write a report, I love being able to hand in the best damn report he'd ever seen. If she wanted me to give a presentation on our latest project, I wanted to deliver something that would excite our allies and convince our opponents. Whatever it was, I wanted to be a perfect fit. I wanted to put my years of study and dedication to my job and see all the work move mountains, make magic. I wanted to be the perfect weapon. There's a kind of peace in that idealized place. When someone else, your boss or friend maybe, needs you to do something, there's no need for self-doubt, fear of consequences, or anxiety over whether completing that task will bring you closer to your goals. It's someone else's play, which also means it's someone else's blowback, someone else's responsibility. The only thing that concerns you really is doing the thing as magnificently as possible. You get all the action and none of the blame. Being someone else's weapon can be profoundly liberating. It can also be limiting. Why? Because while there's power in being someone's weapon, that power isn't dedicated to fulfilling your own desires. While in the short term, women are often rewarded for concealing their opinions, goals, or dreams, in the long term, we suffer. Ceding responsibility for yourself to another person, being the weapon that is yielded, can erode your sense of identity and even impede your ability to accurately value yourself. That's why it's important to know when to shift from weapon mode into warrior mode. Warrior mode is, that, is what I call that place of knowing exactly why you're doing something, a mode in which you're doing what you're, excuse me, you're doing what you're doing specifically to further your goals and nobody else's. You're using all the skills and education and experience you've accumulated to benefit yourself, to pursue, to pursue your dreams. Any mountain you move, you're moving because you need it out of the way. Warrior mode is about taking control of and responsibility for your actions. The process of shifting to warrior mode can be scary, in part because you might be entering unknown territory. Real quick, who's a warrior right now and not a weapon? Who feels like they're a weapon, but they're really amazing at it right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, an unknown way of acting or thinking or even being seen in the world. No matter how much you sugarcoat it, the truth is that perfectionism is rooted in fear. The fear that a single mistake will cost us money or respect or opportunities. That fear is heightened when you're the one steering the course and in charge of the action. When you're fighting for yourself, the stakes are always higher and the risks feel more precarious. For me, the Pussycat Project was the biggest endeavor I'd ever attempted, and it was terrifying. There were so many ways it could go wrong. There was so much potential for criticism. But I also knew that no one else was going to do it. I had all the skills necessary. I was armed with knitting needles and a certain amount of media savvy. And the only way it was going to happen was if I stepped out of being a perfect weapon and became the warrior that the project needed. When you are the warrior, you must decide for yourself to what causes you will lend your skill. I received an unmarked package from a woman who sent in a pussy hat. She apologized for not including a return address, 
admitting that she was afraid her husband would find out she had knit a pussy hat. I imagine she is a weapon for her husband in many ways. Perhaps she's knitted sweaters as Christmas presents to his relatives. She has a skill of knitting, and this time she decided to deploy her skill for herself. She became a warrior and made a pussy hat because it represented a cause she believes in, a cause that not everyone around her supports. So, are you the weapon or the warrior? You are fully capable of being either, anytime you please. Or, if you prefer, are you the Pokemon or the Pokemon Master? So. Oh my god, did you train your dog to do that? I love it. <laughs> How many dogs are here today? Well, I do see a Wonder Woman dog up front. Yeah, I also dressed up as Wonder Woman for Halloween, yeah, so. Aww, yeah. thank you. Hi, Lulu. Um, do you want to, maybe we stay up here and take some questions? Is that yeah. cool? Does anyone have questions? <laughs> Oh, I also want to add, if you have any questions for my mom, she's a pediatrician, uh, and my dad's a cardiologist, so this is a great night to get all your answers. Um, yes? Um, okay, so you started telling us about being in the back of your parents' car, having the idea, transmitting it to your friends. What happened between that moment and millions of women walking down their, around their cities wearing yeah, great question. Um, well, I reached out to Kat, and um, I, I knew that she was someone who was better convinced in person, so when I got back from the road trip, I followed up in person. And um, yeah, it was, uh, I kind of had to ease into it. You know, we were just chit-chatting and looking at yarn, and I was like, Cat, can you make me a pattern? And she was like, yes. And she still remembers that moment too. But as we talked about this, the sea of pink, like I could see the women in the room getting so energized. You know, these are knitters. This is just like within a week of election day and these women who wanted to go to the march but couldn't, you know? Um, and so they could clearly see how this was their way of supporting and making a statement. So um, from there, um, I wrote a manifesto. I call it a manifesto. I love the charge of that. Um, because I really wanted um, people who joined in on the project to like come, like come in knowing that we would take care of them, right? That like um, this project had sort of this, I don't really like using this word a lot, but this intellectual background, this foundation, you know, that we had thought things through. And that's why I wanted the artwork. I think it was very welcoming to know that, like, you know, we put a lot of upfront effort into it. So as people joined in, it's, it was such a crowdsourced project. They knew they were coming into something organized. Um, and it was always very scalable, as in, like, it could be... I actually based it a lot on, like, my party planning um, mentality. So, like, whenever I threw parties, I would be really scared that no one would show up. So what I would do is like reach out to one friend. It could be Aurora or Alyssa or someone's like, you have to be at this party. <laughs> like, you know, like, because then and she'd say yes. And that meant like, no matter who showed up, like, we would have a party, just Alyssa and me, you know. And, and that for two years. 
Right. Yeah. Right, 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 and then like more people show up, but it was just extra. I wasn't like, oh my god, like I'm going to be a failure. If, like, ex I need to reach this quota of guests, you know. And so I liked applying the idea to other spaces, including um, this project, where it was like, even if just a few of us do it, it's going to be really cool. And but it's scalable in that like millions of women can join in, and. Then I got to be like the anti-Asian tiger mom of being like, I love you, my project. Like, no matter how big or how small you get, like, we can do this. And um, in terms of outreach, we first, I mean, was I remember there was this mind-boggling moment because um, you had some contacts at like Hello Giggles and Bust, and we we're like, well, like we could reach out to them and the news and stuff. But ultimately, we decided to put our um, efforts first into the knitters, the crafters, the craftivists. Um, there's a thing called Ravelry, which is like a Facebook just for knitters, and there's like 8 million people on it. Um, Cat is actually like a really big deal in the craftivism world, or crafting world rather. Um, so we just really reached out to the knitters via Instagram and Ravelry. Because um, the idea being that like, the mar we kind of call them knitters and marchers, although obviously you could be both. but. We knew that before the marchers could really understand what was happening, like there had to be hats, there had to be knitters, like you know, mm -hmm. doing it. So we reached out to the knitters, and I think that's why the project really came from a groundswell. Like you know, I'm a Hollywood screenwriter, but it's not like I knew Kim Kardashian or something and just had her wear a hat and just happened. It wasn't a top-down thing. It really came from the people, um, to the point that like celebrities, like uh, like this time last year, the celebrities were like tweeting like, how do I get a pussy hat? Like, is there some like dealer I need in a parking lot? I need one. And like, um, so it was really cool. And it was like a lot of, um, I noticed a lot of like millennials, so to speak, learned about the project through their grandmothers and their moms. So it was really cool that it was multi-generational and really salt of the earth. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I also want to add something that was really key that I learned early on for the project, um, you were so good at assessing where people's both like strengths were, where they had time, and um, how far I could push them. <laughs> well, that, no, no, that is, it was actually the opposite. Like, what would be easy for them? So, like when yeah. you asked me to illustrate, you already knew that I was like in an emotional deficit, and I wanted to do something. <laughs> so it was kind of easy pickings. And then um, you had an idea that was like easy for me to understand because I was already a crafter and a DIY person. And again, like you giving me the diagrams, like I didn't do any guesswork. Like yeah. Um you know, I took this, I, I put this in the resources my book, I took this thing called um, the Strengths Finder test. I don't know if you guys ever took it, but one of my strengths is called individualism, in which I can like match make people's like zone of genius <laughs> with like the right task. And I totally get that from my mom, like she's like a little chess master of our family and, and like she knows like which chess piece that I need her kids to deploy at every <laughs> moment, so, and cousins and such, so. I, I think I totally get that from her, but I think I think it's so important. It's kind of being like a producer and just that matchmaking, right? And I think Kat said yes immediately, and Aurora said yes immediately, because I 
I was asking them to join in a cause they really believed in. And on top of that, I wasn't asking them to like shovel snow for the movement. I was asking like, hey, can you do your like superpower for the movement? And they were like, yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. I was like, you're yeah. welcome, you know? So. <laughs> um, but yeah, hi. I think to add to that too, I think you should bring that you also face a lot of skepticism, even from the people closest to you, including sort of me, except that I was like, yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yes, my friend calls it like effective delusion a little bit, but, um, Hashtag. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's funny. It's like, I remember telling my friend Milk, who saying, um, I can't keep quiet, that went viral at the march. Um, but she's the first person I spoke out loud to about the idea. And she wasn't like immediately like, she didn't get it immediately, but it was still like a safe space to like talk it out. And she later tells me, like, Krista, like, tell me about this idea. And I feel like I blink and it's like there. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, it's, I think it's about really believing in yourself. And, um, and that's really why I wrote this book because I like to think that I'm special and stuff, but, um, but I think having the idea for the pussy hat doesn't make me special, like at all, um, because we have great ideas all the time. Um, I think about um, the movie Amelie, where she's like on the rooftop looking over Paris, and she's like, "How many people are having orgasms right now?" And I think about that. It's like, how many people in this room, in this world, are having great ideas, like right now, a lot. And so, like, that doesn't make me special. I think, if anything, what I want to share is, like, how I didn't talk myself out of the idea. And that took 10 years of figuring it out. And I'm hoping, like, with this book, you can do it in one night. Um, but, um, but just, um, I think women especially learn to talk themselves out of ideas. They're like, oh, well, I don't know if my friends will like it. I don't know if I have the experience for it. Um, if I do it and it fails, my reputation will be ruined and maybe it's better not to do it at all. So, I mean, I call these things idea squelchers and um, I truly believe that if I could help women remove idea squelchers and replace them with idea nurturers, like, that's our revolution. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I don't need, like, a six foot four inch white man to, like, loom over me and tell me, like, Krista, you're stupid because I already have that voice inside my head. Like somehow patriarchy has like managed to get this voice into all of our heads. And then we don't do these ideas, they benefit. And we're left wondering like, what is going on? What's wrong? And it's insidious, right? So this is like a book about how the personal is political and that if we could remove that voice from our heads, like amazing change can happen. And honestly, is this like, it's, my ulterior motive for writing this book is that I just want to kick back and like, and like I want to experience your great ideas because it's going to make my life a better place. So I benefit, you benefit, we all benefit from you doing your great ideas. So this is like, um, hopefully your companion to that. Um, you, uh, when you started telling me about it, um, when you first wrote it, I think you said it was uh, your bad best friend. Yeah, your yeah. bad influence best yeah. friend. It's like, you know, like, 
I'm sure you've been that per that friend for someone. I've been that friend for people and vice versa, where it's just like, yeah, you should do it. Oh my God, you're amazing. Oh my God, yeah. Like, you know, and that's what this book is. Like, I've just infused that spirit in here and it's meant to um, be that friend for you until um, you can be that friend to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Questions? Yeah, Yumi. Um, By the way, not too long ago I was up here with Yumi, like interviewing her for her book, which is also available here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a few books by her, right? Yumi Sakigawa. But yeah. here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for both of you, which is what are future big ideas that we should look out for from both of you guys? Oh my gosh. And, um, what your favorite chapter, what is a chapter in the book that resonates for you guys in this particular moment? You want to take it first? Yeah. Sure. Uh, so, big projects. I mean, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll get puppy. Maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> right now, I'm at a point where I'm like one day at a time, and that's actually pretty chill for me. So um, I am trying to get like back into like a daily drawing practice, like just grounding myself. Um, She's kind of talking about the very first chapter, inhaling versus exhaling. Uh, and she's in an inhale stage where she's like taking in the ideas and soon she'll be exhaling whatever that big project is. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> um, and then uh, my um, can I not choose a favorite chapter and instead choose a favorite Christaism? Sure. Okay. Um, so I think uh, it was uh, we were getting really close to the march last year, and we had um, the all the our small team for the Pussycat Project had uh, we were pulling an all day work day, and it, it was pretty arduous. Like we were going through the like. Well, like, you know, when you build a website with someone who really knows about websites, they think about the user experience the whole time. Like a person is uh, theoretically going to look at this area first or click the mouse over here first. And like you want to use that knowledge to make a better website. And that's kind of what we were doing, except applied to pussy hats at the march. And it my brain does not function that way and like the whole time like I found myself like wanting to think about like the color of a brick or something it was just like not my zone of genius so um, we broke for lunch and we all went uh, to Mohawk Bend and it was my first time doing a Holy Trinity with Krista and um, Holy Trinities are talked about in the book but it's a really really helpful exercise chapter 26 <laughs> <laughs> that you can do with any of your friends and um it's basically uh three different things that you both share with one another and it can be goofy it can be intimate it can be whatever you need it to be um in order to complete the exercise but for us at that point i felt like it was really intimate and i was like oh my gosh like i this is like the point where I feel really close to people this this situation out at lunch like we've had this kind of stressful day and like we're sharing all these things 
So the Holy Trinity is like something I'm like, uh, what friends around that I can do the Holy, Holy Trinity with? Um, yeah. But that is something that you've brought into my life. That's yeah, really I, I learned about it from Mama Gina's blog, and um, uh, it's basically um, like if Rory and I were to do, I would say a brag, like I brag, um, what I'm grateful for and what I desire, and um, and then once I say my desire, everyone in the room will say. And so, so it, it shall, shall be, be or something seven. better. <laughs> and it's really powerful because especially for women, when are we like, not just encouraged to, but like told to brag, like that's what you're supposed to do right now. And, um, and gratitude, we're a little bit more accustomed to doing, um, but desire to so like state them out loud. And, um, that's a hard one for me. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of women have trouble with that. Just vocalizing yeah. like, oh, okay, I'm going to put this out there and like see what happens. Well, what's great is that you put it out there and it's not like these like faces like, ugh, like, no. like and so they're like, and so it shall be or yeah. something better. You're like, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. a great way to like transform that fear into like excitement. Yeah. Um, and like, I love doing it with, um, you could do it as a journal exercise if you're too shy at first. It's really helpful. Um, I think doing it with girlfriends is so powerful. It's like, a spell you cast together, really. Um, and uh, But it's for the guys, too, because I've totally done this, actually on Alyssa's set. Um, uh, she was directing a short film, and after the rap party, I got like five of these, like, what do you call them? Like the, the crew, right? The like, uh, lighting guys and camera guys. Yeah, yeah. To do the Holy Trinity at a sports bar while holding hands. So that was great, yeah. We did it in... Uh... March coming up, I was like, oh, like, I've always loved The New Yorker. I was like, wouldn't it be cool to be on the cover of The New Yorker? Like, I really want that. And I'm just like, you think, like, okay, and so it shall be, or something better. And, you know, it didn't happen at the March, and, um, and then this great cartoon came out of the Women's March, and, like, it's, like, Donald Trump, like, peering with fear outside of his <laughs> curtains, looking at this, like, mass of women. And it's such a smart cartoon. Even, like, the clouds are, like, in the shape of, like, a uterus a little bit. Like, it's so detailed. And, um, and I was like, you know what? That's my something better. It's like, yeah, this is a really cool cartoon, and I got what I wanted. It's in the New Yorker done, right? And then, like, a few days later, the cover came out. I was like, oh, my God, it really worked. So um, it's really cool. It becomes, like, a game to see how your wish will come true. And I feel like... In our culture, we have all these like weird fables of just like be careful what you wish for, and like you feel like you have to spend all this time to like state your wish exactly right, otherwise some genie will take you literally and punish you, you know. And um, and but this statement is so is better because it's like it shall be or something better, so it frees you up from having to be like super technical and literal and just just simply state what you want. Yeah. yeah. Invite opportunity. 
Yeah, so I really encourage you guys to do it with each other. It's um, And, you know, especially if, if you have a friend that you don't see that often, it's a really great way to, like, immediately dive into the important stuff. You know, so be like, yeah, so what have you been up to? Do you have, have you gone anywhere lately? Like, you know? Um, it's a great way to dive immediately into the depths with a stranger or with a friend. Yeah. Um, so I have a few plans in store, but um, something that I've launched through um, the book, A Soft Launch, are these um, evil eye gloves. And the idea is that we're going to create a, a sea of eyes um, in the near future. So keep an eye out for that. Um, it's ideas that, you know, the people are watching. And I are developing tools to help people, like, spot abuses, both in our societies and in our families and relationships. And um, I've learned a lot from just making them. So, um, so that's on the horizon for me. Um, as well as, like, some TV stuff and fun things. I think um, it's so hard to choose a favorite. Um, I'm pretty proud of the Sharon Stone chapter, uh, but let me see. You know, I, I still think the valid stamp is so important to talk about. Do you mind pointing at it? It's right here. Right here. Chapter five. Um, we have stickers so you could, like, you know, validate your yourself, you know, and that's, that's what it's really about because I do think patriarchy's greatest victory is um, introducing the idea that there's only one valid way of doing something. And, like, surprise, if you're a woman, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> you know? And so that's why, like, we have these amazing women at the top of their game who feel like frauds, you know? And, like, we have these women who are so busy second-guessing every little decision. Like, I remember I talked about in the book how I wanted to pay via like the Square Cash app to like a vendor or, or um, editor I was working with, and and I was like, oh no, that's not like the valid way. Like I need to like go to the bank and get my checks and all that. And then it hit me like, wait a second, like I'm the one paying her. Like she can figure out how to get the money. Like you know what I mean? And 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 so I paid the way I wanted to, and it was great. But just this like small decision, like I. I spent so much time trying to do it the valid way, and if we do that for every decision of our lives, like no wonder we feel so bogged down. So, like I, I wrote the valid stamp chapter because I want to remind people that like you can determine what is valid. It's not something that you have to seek approval for outside of you. And um, yeah, so anyway, that's I think like that one idea kind of spreads throughout like these rays from that corner are all around yeah. the book, yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? Hi. Hello, hello. Hey. What, is your, what was your greatest worry in um, putting this book out, because it is obviously filled with highly charged subject matter, transformative subject matter, so what, would, what was your personal worry? My personal worry, actually, is that people would deem it too soft. Like, oh, like, why is she writing a self-help book when we have real problems out there, you know? And I was afraid that it would be, like, too lightweight for people and that they wanted me to do something, like, quote, important. And that was just, like, a fear of mine, like, um, that I've had even before the project and before the book. And so it sort of reared its head again. And, um, 
And so that's why in the introduction I, I talk about that fear because it made me realize that it is important that like my intuition is telling me something important that like you need to write this book. And I think um, I think like actually uh, you know patriarchy is like this haze like we can't um, touch it. We can't even see it, but it's obscuring our vision. And that's in one way of obscuring my vision, like, oh no, people think I'm so dumb or something, you know, for, and not like focus on the right things. Um, but when I really sat down and processed it, I was like, this is the most important thing because like, if we can remove patriarchy from our minds, we could start removing it from culture. And, um, and as activists, especially women activists, like we're not gonna make strides unless we like really take care of ourselves in here and really feel um, deserving on, from a really core level of change for ourselves. So, so I, like I have to remind myself all the time that this book and these ideas are important and not let those idea squelchers get to me that like, nah, like people are gonna hate you and like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You actually have some tips for that, how to handle that yeah. in your book. Um, it's called uh, Criticisms, Dismissals, and Panthers in the Dark. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually helping. I can't tell you how many times like after I finish the draft and whatever, it's like something comes up in my day-to-day -day life and I'm sort of stewing about it. I'm like, oh my god, I need my own book right now. <laughs> like, I need to actually take my own advice. <laughs> Anyone else? Um, so I, I just my was that was so disturbing when I read it. Um, I was reading in the New York Book Review Laura Kiffin, she was talking about the Weinstein phenomenon, the Me Too movement. And um, at the end of this really brilliant thing, it was shocking to me. A lot of people take her as a conservative feminist, she's not at all. Just she went on and on about taking these incidents to the imaginative extremes. Read this piece by Laura Kiffin's in the New York Review Books if you want to just kind of be shocked. But at the end of it, she said something, probably not even intended to be focused on this way. But she said, by invading on her sexuality, that act collapses our self-definition and our self-definition. And the idea that sexuality could invade a self-boundary, um, it just really, it just hit, hit me the wrong way, like, like maybe fiction writers have to be writing these books, you know. But, can, what do you think of the idea that sexuality is going to to cross your self-definition? It just doesn't feel like that should be happening, and yet I know instinctively it's a patriarchal destruction of your self-definition work, of course. Um, but I, do, 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 do you guys rip off that at all? I just, that one sentence out of that whole beautiful thing, she's so clear, she's a philosopher, she's great. And then this one sentence, I thought, God, a million fiction writers could handle that sentence, and I still wouldn't get to the depth of where that goes. Yeah, I really want to read that piece now. Yeah, it's really, um, a lot of people have doubts about her, like she's a honeypot for conservatives because she did a Title IX argument that may not be seen as the most black looking, <clears throat> but she's not. She's a real smart academic with a history of feminism behind her. And, and this piece really makes you think about the horror show that of sexual experience and the, oh God, and, and the difference between what is, um, because we are told not to say anything, not to be lippy, 
with a, with a camera guy who might be saying, when I put that microphone on, I really enjoy touching your breasts. You know, you're in a car with that guy, and you're thinking, do I jump out of the car? What do I do? What do I have to do? How far does that statement go? With the idea that assault is, is a precursor to rape, which is a big thing in law enforcement. So, keeping communism is a big, it's like an entry gateway drug to rape, and that's what cops think. So, you know, I just, I just really was disturbed by that sentence. Mm -hmm. And you guys are so caring, and I so appreciate the thinking and the exercise. You know, actually, what you, the, 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 um, Trinity—that's like creating um, a religion of support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, historically, been a religion of sin. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's such a beautiful thing, and also it creates the idea that we can support each other's dreams, which is not an exercise we're given in paper. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so beautiful and so healing and lovely. And um, you know, I'm real hard to work intellectual, and so you know, I'm somebody who doesn't, you know, I. I Soft, you know, self-help, you know, we need to be out there marching and we can self-help ourselves to death when we need to change mm -hmm. the world, you know. But I really think you're getting at something beyond self-help. Mm -hmm. You're actually um, reconditioning the culture and, um, you know, giving us new religions and new ways out. You know, you're showing us mm -hmm. new So, can you know, I wrote that statement that's so bothered me when I read that too. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in my book I have kind of my, my Me Too story, or one of mine. Isn't it crazy that we have multiple Me Too stories? Um, it's like, I could take my pick. Um, but um, I think for me, there was the um, harassment and assault itself. And then, like, this terrible week of, like, sorting internally, like, and getting the bravery to report it. Um, and I was so scared because I thought, like, I didn't want to be, like, if I reported it and the cameras didn't, like, you know, support what I was saying, would I be, like, I literally thought, like, the sheriff's department would, like, put a black mark next to me forever, you know? And, um, and we never, um, I mean, it's, like, I think for me, like, a lot of this is, um, breaking down the thoughts that we have, um, like, for example, like, if you have, um, if you're, like, scared about spending money, right? Like, we all have, like, this anxiety of, like, oh, if I spend too much, what if I just, if I spend on what I want, I'll just be, end up in the poor house somehow. And what I found really helpful is, like, really just following that thought all the way through and what that fear actually looked like. And I remember, like, I, I just really put myself there, okay, like, if I buy this gelato, I'm gonna like end up poor. I'm gonna lose everything. I'm not gonna have any support from like friends or family. I'm just gonna be homeless. And I remember I was in the alley, in this alley in my head, right? Um, and like I could smell like the urine in the alley, you know. And I could, um, and it, I was just next huddled up next to a dumpster. And, um, and all of this is like awful, like, and if that's like going on in the back of your mind with every little buying decision, like no wonder we're so stressed out, right? And um, but I remember where it got really great was like, I was like, oh, I'm just dirty and, and smelly and like uh, poor and homeless. And then the topper of it all is like, all the other homeless people in the alley hated me like I was like poor and unpopular like I was like oh my god like that's my fate and if I you know and but it's really cool to get actually really clear on what is going on in your mind 
Um, and um, what's your name? Shana. Shana. You, is there, you, there's so much that I want to respond to. Um, I think. Um, That's so beautiful, just what you said there. I mean, thanks. Yeah. Right, right, and it could be destructive, but you could turn it to your own nefarious schemes of taking over the world and instead build your self-confidence, you know? Um, like, I think, I personally think we have a lot to learn from the uh, the mediocre white man. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, what would, like, yeah, the mediocre white man do? He, he wouldn't ask for permission, he would just do it. Like, you know, think about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot to learn from them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have some of their tips in here, by the way. So. <laughs> I like snuck over to the other side. Yeah, and you didn't ask permission. Grab some of their tips, yeah. Um, but I think also like something that I've been getting over is like this need to um, the need for my ego to be stroked. Like when I was young, I was always like. Um, like, you know, don't tell anyone, but I'm Asian American and uh, I'm half Chinese, half Korean. I'm shocked uh, I didn't know. I know. We'll talk about it more later, yeah, my coming out. Um, and um, I went to this pressure cooker high school, so my high school friends are here today. Um, and, you know, I really was like the, the good Asian girl. I, I did piano for like 10 years, I was a black belt in Taekwondo. I was in Mensa, I got a perfect score on my SATs, you know, so on and so on. On the math one, I got a, I got a 770 on my um, verbal and a 780 on my writing. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, um, at a certain point, I just, like, it wasn't, um, yeah, I know, Lilo, it was awful. Like, um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, at a certain point, like, it just wasn't giving back to me, right? Um, and I think, you know, as a screenwriter, what I love to write about the most is, like, oh, I hate movies about, like, slacker guys. I'm like, oh, here's another guy who doesn't know what he's doing in his life. It's like, give me a movie about a super ambitious woman, right? And she's just at the top of her game, but there's something wrong in her life. And my theory is that really powerful women who are like playing by the rules, like almost in this magical way, they like cut themselves off early on to focus, right, on this corporate ladder or what have you. And then they plateau. And that's how I felt. I just plateaued. I was like, I'm trying so hard. I'm using all the tricks I've learned. And I just cannot get beyond that. And like the women I write about, I had to like go back to a more primal place and like take back what I left behind, which for me was my sexuality, my femininity, my sense of joy and fun and ease, get that, bring it up with me to like break through to that next level. Um, because as I say about Sharon Stone, like Sharon Stone says, you know, you can only sleep your way to the middle. And I say like, you can only perfectionist your way to the middle. Like to get to that next level, you have to let go of, of some tools that brought you there. Um, so, I think, um, uh, yeah, that, like, when I gave a speech at uh, my alma mater last year, uh, I went to Barnard College of Columbia University, so it's like a Seven Sisters and an Ivy League. Ah! Oh my god, how exciting! 
kidding. Okay. My mom went there too. Oh, we wow. all talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, like they they had the president there of the college, and it was a big deal. And they rent like we had the biggest room on campus called. Um, the, um, the Oval at the Diana Center, and Diana Vagelos paid $40 million for that building. And she was there that night, and she like grabs my hand, she's like, you put Barnard on the map. And I was like, dang, I mean, you literally put Barnard on the map with this building, but okay, like, you know? And um, so it was this big moment, and I remember like, like preparing my speech and being like, oh my God, like, there's a version of this that would, where I would disgust myself. Like if I went up there to this podium and all these like symbols of power around me, right? Like my nice outfit, my podium, and I'm literally lifted above the crowd. And I could go up there and be like, you too can be like me. Like I worked hard and I like, you know, follow these rules and tips and like you can also do that, you know? Because um, what I really didn't want to do was become the exceptional woman. I don't know if you guys know that term, but the idea is that patriarchy has always had a place for women and it's this one spot right the exceptional woman and you know currently what you could say it's Ivanka Trump that has this right mm -hmm. so it has that spot and so that way when people like Aurora and me who were like trying really hard and somehow not succeeding the patriarchy could be like oh, see like Ivanka is succeeding so clearly it's not the system it's something you are doing that is wrong and I believed that for a really long time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and after doing this project based on femininity and intuition and connectiveness, I was like, oh my God, like I can't betray like the, you know, the, the, hor the horse I rode in on and suddenly be like, patriarchy, this is how you do it, like, you know, and just kind of collecting that, those ego things of being up there, it's like, no, I just, I wanted to reject all of that, and just tell, tell these students, like, what actually worked for me, and a lot of it was kind of embarrassing, like, I relax sometimes, like, you know, and that's really embarrassing to admit in our culture, um, and, yeah, and I go into, like, those tips, too, that, like, I think, um, you know, are kind of like shameful to talk about, especially in an academic setting. So, um, but I remember that was like my Robert Frost divergent path in the woods. I'm like, I'm not walking that path. Like I refuse to like be some example for patriarchy of like, this is how you can be successful. And if you're not successful, you're not doing it right. You know, um, so I'm sorry, I forget where we started on that, but that's, that's where I'll end on. Yeah. Um, anyone else? So, like, there are no role models? Is that I think there can be role models. Like, it's just one of my role models. Oh, you're one of my role yeah. models. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, she teaches yeah. me to be, like, I don't know, to be always creating, that there's always something new on the horizon. Um, there's more type of I think that we just want to be very, like, careful about... Um, the type of role models that patriarchy uses against us, you know, of like, oh, you're not doing well, like, then you just, it's clearly your fault, you know. Right, like, who, are, yeah. who are the people who are being idolized and yeah. exalted right And being now? used by, yeah. you know, the right or the patriarchy, right? But, like, I think certainly there are so many role models that 
have helped me a lot, yeah. And I talk about that in my chapter called um, Mentorship Without Consent. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't need someone's permission to let them inspire you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank well, you all for being here. Yeah. This has been awesome. Uh, we've been traveling for the past week over in New York and uh, in D.C. And we were so looking forward to this being our hometown. hometown. Yeah. yeah. It so all began here, guys. Oh, also, like, at one point, like, check out the little knittery because, um, Mr. Eric Garcetti, our, our mayor, um, just presented Cat with a certificate because it's really historical place where, you know, headquarters of the Pussyhead Project. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly where I'll be, but I, I'm going to be signing books. Yeah, here. Up here? Okay, yeah. I'll be signing books up here. I, um... I do this thing where I write whatever you want me to. So I wrote like to David, the love of my life and all that. So yeah. Um, yeah, so please come up and chat. And um, there are like pins and stickers floating around. And also like please fill out an intake form because it really helps me visually remember who you are. I see your handwriting. I connect you with a face. And yeah, and we can be friends. Krista's but. analog when it comes to intake forms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank so. you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.